few, if any, can fill the shoes of Richard Turin, who's an innovator, consultant, top 100 fintech influencer, and now the author of a fantastic new book, Cashless, China's Digital Currency Revolution. His appearance on this episode of Dave and Darm Demystify marks a personal highlight for Darm and a chance for all of us to learn more about China's move to a decentralized digital currency and how that move heralds the future for governments and those who use digital currency across the globe. Listen up, it's time for Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. And Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome everybody to what I guarantee is going to be a very exciting episode of the Dave and Darm Demystify Show. And this week, we are having a go at demystifying what the hell is going on in China. Why are they so far ahead? Why didn't I know until I started reading Richard Turin's stuff, right? And if you haven't, you need to follow this man. Welcome, Richard Turin. Hey, Darwin, David, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. And, you know, I'm delighted you enjoyed reading my stuff on LinkedIn in particular. And I do also do Twitter. But I'm honored that you enjoy reading it. I had a really kind of unique front row seat to what's going on in China. I've lived here now for 11 years. So where it's imaginary and far away to a lot of people, to me, it's up close and personal. I see it every day. What really fascinates me, right, is this kind of real disparity. I mean, I look at what's going on. And I'm involved in some government initiatives, you know, some around digital identity, a lot around the home buying selling process, you know, digitization of property data. I was involved quite heavily from open banking perspective. I was one of those guys that felt like we were ahead of the game, especially in Europe. It's only when I started to read your stuff that I'm thinking, hold on one sec. They're ahead because they had a game plan like 20 years ago. Right. And that is fascinating to me. I mean, why is it, do you think, that governments outside are so far behind? They don't know. There's sort of two issues here. One is, and this is fundamentally why I wrote my latest book, which is called Cashless, China's Digital Currency Revolution. And what I saw happening was that people in the fintech world thought that they were really doing neat stuff and boy, you know, we're really happy we've got Google Pay and Apple Pay, and that's the pinnacle of payment. And, you know, I'm living in Shanghai. I'm paying all my rent bills digitally. Everything is digital. And I got somebody saying, look, I used Apple Pay. Isn't that really cool? And I'm like, that's backwards. You know, and it's really hard to get that across. And, you know, literally, 
I'm not joking. I really want to be serious. That is what motivated me to write my book because what I saw was a sense of congratulatory, backslapping, happy, like we're doing really well. Look, we have neobanks and neobanks basically in the United States and challenger banks to a lesser extent, slap a new interface, a new UX on board the same product. Yeah. And when I'm watching this and I'm like, what's creative and innovative about that? <laughs> go, go look at Ant Group. Look at their fully digital bank. Look at the loans they're doing. Now, we're still listening to challenger banks talk about getting into loans when Ant Group had 12% of all the personal loans in the nation for 1.4 billion people. So, you know, it's really this concept where there's a mismatch, there's a misbalance, people don't get it. And my job is to basically try to shake people up and to say, we can do better. And, you know, that's my goal. We have to do better. We have to do better. It's fascinating to have that sort of ringside seat on what's going on. I was lucky enough to visit Shenzhen last year. And to your point around the kind of cashlessness of China, I mean, it's you can't pay for anything with money these days, you know, with physical cash. It was difficult enough to pay for anything with a credit card. And you just realize that China has managed to transform, like properly digital transform as a nation in a way that, you know, most banks would envy, I guess, at a kind of technical implementation level, but they've done it in a country of 1.4 billion people. You know, as you say, it then opens up the doors for so many opportunities. It's just a very different world, you know, and I think until you understand that, it's quite difficult for people in the West, perhaps, to realize just what a difference that makes. Absolutely. When I talk to people about WeChat or Alipay, and they look at me and they say, well, look, I've got Apple Pay. I've got Google Pay. It's the same thing. I pay stuff. And I said, no, you don't really understand what a 360 degree digital lifestyle platform does for you, including buying your groceries, investing your money, buying insurance. It's really alien to most people. Therefore, their ability to conceptualize. That part is hard. Now, both of you guys know Paolo Cerrone. He is a very dear and old friend of mine. We both worked in banking 15 years ago and then worked together years later in our career in IBM. So Paolo would come to China for IBM stuff. And later he came when I was gone from IBM. And I would have to pay for everything because Paolo said, look, I've got this big wad of paper money and I can't spend it. So what we would do is we would add up the expenses and he would just give me the paper cash afterwards and I'd have to go deposit it in my bank account. But it was really funny because he's like, Richard, I can't buy a train ticket. I can't do this. I can't take a taxi. All of these things that he looked at me in his Italian accent and he said, look, I can't do, what is the matter? You know, And I'm laughing at it, we're all friends. It was just a really magical moment to see tech executives, people who are into technology, who are saying, what do we do? We're not cashless yet. By the way, the good news, they made it so that Alipay and WeChat Pay 
can be used with foreign credit cards for limited amounts for execs because it was getting to be such a big problem. That happened just pre-COVID, but it still works for everybody. Something that happened this week, just going back to the point about the banks are holding up the progress, right? Obviously, we've been ahead of the game in terms of open banking. That's one area I think that actually Europe led the way, right? Now, the banks would not have jumped on top of this unless the regulators had said, the top nine banks in the UK, you must do this. You know, and the European countries, similar for their local, you know, big banks, right, forced the banks to open up. And so it didn't happen because banks volunteered to do it. It's because they were made to do it, right? And it was made to do because the regulators realized that customers weren't getting fair competition. Absolutely. And this week, we got a bank saying, open banking has failed. It's failed, you know? Actually, over a billion transactions in open banking have occurred. You know, over 3 million users in the UK are using it on a regular basis, right? It's failed to make money for the banks that haven't had imagination. And I think that's the same thing as happening with, you know, the cashless stuff. Hold on a sec. I'm making a whole load of money out of physical cash and old payment rails where, you know, the customer's paying for these old payment rails. And how do I change this so I can make money out of, you know, digital money, which doesn't need these old rails, right? So that's why I think there's some friction because they are going to have to rethink their business models and they haven't really thought it through. What do you think? Talk about disruption. So just imagine tomorrow the Fed or the BOE said, okay, Facebook, we're tired of working with the banks. We're going to give you a banking license. And in fact, the PBOC or the People's Bank of China gave these licenses knowing full well that it would be costly to state-run banks. Wow. So that's how we got open banking. The big techs quickly got payment market share, quickly got big shares of banking and other things. And within a matter of three or four years, the banks realized that if they wanted to, quote, be where their customer was, they actually had to, ready for it, put their banking apps on to WeChat and to Alipay. Wow. So they actually made what are called small programs, which is essentially open banking. And they put limited or some banking services actually onto the WeChat app in particular, and also to a more limited degree on Alipay. So you're looking at EU, UK, open banking by legislation. And China's experience, you've got open banking by complete and total disruption. And frankly, I give China credit for that. It changed the banking system. And the mentality of the bankers in China today, do you think they went digital? I mean, you guys, we all work in and around the banking community. Your story about how slow banks are to adapt open banking is classic. Bankers really don't want to do this. You talk to bankers in China who have just been disrupted. Oh, they love digital. That's the only thing they think about 24-7 because the transformation has occurred here. There's no going back. You can't say, well, wait till next year to do this. They're going to eat your lunch. (laughs) The digital powerhouses here. So very different experience. And I love open banking because I write about it in great detail. To me, it's a funny chapter. Well, sad, but funny, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, I mean, what it's actually driven, 
and it's not talked about enough is that a whole open data initiative. You know, other verticals are looking at how open banking works so they can do open utilities, open patient records, open, you know, whatever else, right? And in a safe and secure manner that banks have achieved with people's financial data. Oh, yeah. So I'm a big fan of open banking because it's driving a broader open data initiative. It's going to be the thing that, you know, has really started to accelerate people owning their own data again, you know. I just want to ask a question, which is for those who may not understand, what is a central bank digital currency? Central bank digital currency, or what I call very quickly CBDC, which means central bank issued, which means that it is a digital currency. It is not a crypto, okay? So cryptocurrency is based on faith, the belief of what its value should be. And a central bank digital currency is issued by the central bank. And what it seeks to do is to take paper money and convert it into a digital equivalent. It doesn't go up or down in value. It doesn't burn lots of electricity to transact. It is free to send money back and forth. Crypto people hate central bank digital currency, and we'll talk about that in a second. But it does realize one of the goals that Satoshi Nakamoto laid out in his Bitcoin white paper, and that is peer-to-peer uninterrupted digital payment. And you can use a central bank digital currency and its greatest act or greatest benefit to the people who use it is that you will be able to send money for free digitally without going through your bank, Visa or MasterCard network, or any third party which seeks to charge you or take a commission for the transfer of money. So it's really big If you ask your local coffee shop, most people don't think about it, but when you buy a coffee at your local coffee shop, built into the price of that coffee is their vendor fee of three or 4% that they pay to Visa or MasterCard. So, you know, these are really taxes on all of society that no longer in a digital era have a proper place. They should be done away with. And that's the good thing that a central bank digital currency can do for everyone. The way I look at it, it's like money has finally caught up with the internet. In the old days, you stick a stamp on an envelope, you put it in the post, and it cost you to send a letter. When the internet came along, you can send emails, nobody's charged for the email. And the same thing with money. Why are we being charged money to send money on the same physical networks and technology as we send our emails. What's the difference? Okay, one is you know a letter and the other one some, some stored value, right? We shouldn't be charged. And CBDCs gives us the ability to move off the old rails into the new rails, which you know we'd already been using for things like email, right? That's the way I look at it anyway. We all owe a debt to the crypto guys, independent of whether you like Bitcoin or either. That's a whole other discussion. But we owe them a debt because they showed how we could make that leap that you talked about, licking stamps. You know, in the United States in particular, they're still writing checks, which is the equivalent of licking stamps. And it's like, (laughs) 
Let me tell you a story. My family, we run a business, right? And I talked to my brother and I'm like, Tom, how much electronic payment do we do? He looks at me and he said, none. And I said, how much do we get? He said, well, we have one check, one digital deposit that comes in digitally every month, but that's about it. For a small business in New Jersey, it's still all about checks. And I tell him, I said, no business in China, maybe big businesses, you know, millions of dollars, maybe somebody somewhere still writes a check, but no typical SME, small, medium enterprise is doing checks in China. You know, it's been gone for years now. I love what you're saying in terms of the debt. Oh, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot to play out between the crypto marketplace and then the central bank digital currencies. But in essence, what you're saying is if you've got Bitcoin, there isn't anything substantial behind Bitcoin. You've got a currency based on pure faith, whereas a central bank digital currency is going to be backed by bonds and all the other things that sort of a central bank would have. Absolutely. And let's just make that clear again. Cryptocurrency, for all the good things I said about it, is a completely different world. and. Again, it's faith-based money. It's money not based on a government, but based on your faith of what its value should be. Whereas a central bank digital currency, the concept is that an electronic pound, electronic euro, an electronic RMB for China is no different than if you were holding the actual paper note. So, you know, you don't buy the digital RMB because you think it's going to appreciate. It doesn't go up like Bitcoin. The digital pound won't change value up and down like Bitcoin. They're tied to whatever value the pound or the RMB or whatever currency might have at that time. So I just want to make that really, really clear for everybody. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like a crypto fanboy, but you know, one thing that I do like about it, and I also think the community sees in it, is that We've been held to ransom by centralized functions, whether it's a government or Facebook or WhatsApp or, you know, centralized databases of our data or our stored value. They've taken it for advantages and exploited it. And, you know, one of the advantages of crypto is a decentralized model, which you can be an actor in. You can stake and play in the governance of a specific schema. I mean, what's your views on that? So there's two different things here. First of all is the data ownership. And, you know, I'm the biggest proponent that you'll ever meet of self-sovereign identity. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of owning your data and being responsible for your data. And if Google or somebody wants to use it, they should pay me for it. But then when you get into the next part and you say that you can play a part, well, let me tell you, as a Bitcoin owner, good luck trying to get them to update from technology that is roughly the equivalent of an eight-track cassette, not even to MP3 level you know, technology. Let's just get them from an eight-track to cassette. Remember eight-tracks, the big clunky thing? Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. You know, I had one. That's a really big issue for Ether. The big issue for Bitcoin is how are they going to techno update? You've got a very diverse group. You've got a very loose voting management structure, and it's really, really tricky to see how they're going to go forward you know, with time and whether they're going to be left behind. Look, from a technological perspective, Bitcoin people, please don't get upset with me and write nasty things. <laughs> but from a tech perspective, 
Bitcoin is already in the horse and wagon days. Yeah. You know, there's really no compelling reason to have this proof of work that requires all the electricity. I mean, there's other ways to do it that are more efficient today that are equally secure or equally community forming. You know, there's just better ways. We learned how to do more. So what, we're going to be tied to that technology for the next 150 years? China just closed down all the Bitcoin mining in China. How does that then sit with what's going on in terms of the central bank? Are these things related or... I guess people would be looking at this and going, what the hell's going on? My favorite question you could possibly ask. Hooray! <laughs> you win the award. I wish I had a bell. I need a <laughs> bell that I can ring or something like that. You know, look, it's my favorite question. And here's the reason why. It is almost at meme internet status right now that China banned Bitcoin because of its coming launch of central bank digital currency. You can read that in at least one article per day that covers mining of you know, Bitcoin or covers China's CBDC. You will read that as a throwaway line by every author. I will repeat it. China is banning Bitcoin because of its central bank digital currency. Now, let me help you understand why this is wrong. Right now in China, it is illegal to use any other form of money for retail or commercial payment than the state currency, which is called the people's currency or the renminbi, which means people's currency. Okay, renminbi, RMB, we say for short. So there has never been a coffee shop in Shanghai. I should be careful. There probably was one sometime, but there is no signage anywhere on the street or has there ever been saying Bitcoin accepted here. There is almost zero use of Bitcoin as an actual transaction currency to buy retail or commercial products because it is simply illegal. And if you put that sign up, you get in trouble with the cops. Okay, so what percentage of the retail commercial payment market did Bitcoin command in China? How about zero today, zero last year, zero when Bitcoin was at its peak for China use, which is interestingly around 2012. Never been a market for payment. What is Bitcoin used for in China? It is used for two things, investment, you're betting whether it's going to go up or down. And it's used for money laundering, getting money out of the country and breaking currency transfer laws. People in the Bitcoin market say, well, we don't like those currency transfer laws. They shouldn't exist. To which my reply is, you don't live in China and I cannot promote breaking the laws of any country. They have laws for a reason and you know you have to follow them. Correct. But here's the point. By removing Bitcoin, which is what they've done, the Bitcoin ban, I ask you, how does it change the market for China's central bank digital currency? The answer is zero. There is no change. Bitcoin never had any market share for retail and commercial payments. Therefore, pulling it out of the market does nothing 
to the central bank digital currency. So I want you guys to do me a favor. Just send me a tweet or any quick message saying, hey, Rich, I just read another article today saying, gee, China got rid of Bitcoin because of the central bank digital currency. And we'll all get a laugh out of it because it is patently not true, but reported over and over again. Well, China's loss is Texas's gain, is what I've been reading. So, um, and Venezuela, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah and look. Colombia, and Colombia. Well, I've, I've and, heard that and, Texas and, is where it's all happening now in terms of the mining. So, um, yeah, they get the brownouts and power <laughs> problems. Well, are we not talking about a country that you know is tracking people visually through the streets and? is credit scoring on multiple basis points, you know, so is there much privacy in China anyway? What people are going to hear, certainly about China's central bank digital currency, but what people hear about all central bank digital currencies is this. We don't want to list at the government with my name and what I purchased available for government access. And that's the meme, again. That's the meme. That's what you hear on the internet. Yeah. What you hear is, we have privacy now, and if we have a central bank digital currency, we will have no privacy. And that's a real false comparison, because the reality is you have very little privacy now, Correct. and you pay exceedingly large amounts of money for cash transfer and everything else with no privacy as compared to free cash transfer, free P2P, low charge, easy to use central bank digital currency with, ready? And I'm going to say it, and you guys can beat me up, with better privacy than what you've got now. Yeah, I think you should explain that. Yeah, yeah. While I love WeChat Pay and Alipay, I think they're fabulous companies, they are like Amazon, like Facebook, monetizing the data that they acquire through your using their payment systems. And with China's new central bank digital currency, there will be no data trail for third parties. There will be no buying and selling or brokering of your data. That's gone. Now, as to the concept that there is a list with my name and your name and all of your payments on it? No. What the central bank digital currency of China does and what also that of Sweden is they basically separate the KYC part of digital payment away and the payment transactions, which are all encoded, just like the same stuff that Bitcoin uses, are on another. And you can't connect them unless you have, guess what, a police warrant. That's what China does. And that sort of system is likely what you're going to see used in other countries. Separation of data and names in separate servers, separate areas, and warrants required to connect the two. And I tell you flat out, that's much better than the credit card databases that exist today that do have all of your name and your data in one place. And have been demonstrably hacked by Edward Snowden in 2012, who made it clear, oh yeah, the NSA has got into the visa database, particularly for the Middle Eastern countries. That was a revelation. So if you're really worried about having your name 
and your payments on a single database, look to credit card companies for that. Don't look to central bank digital currencies. That's why I tell everyone, again, there's reality and then there's the internet meme. The internet meme is central bank digital currencies. The government has a name and your payments all on one list and they're gonna know everything about you. And the reality is that we have the computer technology to separate this stuff out. If you believe that your government is even slightly fair, you're gonna get a better deal with your central bank digital currency than what you've got in the existing system now. And China, which is a place that people don't really like for privacy and other things, basically has shown that it can be done. People here are getting a better deal for privacy now with central bank digital currency than what they've got now. There you go. That's a long-winded argument. Look, it's fantastic what yeah. you know. I mean, I was looking forward to this conversation all week and you haven't let us down. <laughs> I'm glad I'm amusing. <laughs> no, I mean, the point is I've learned something, right? And it's been really fun. You know, your energy and passion on this topic just makes it really enjoyable, right? Honestly, Richard, you just got a brilliant way of explaining it. You got real clarity. Even for someone with a simple brain like mine, I think I've kind of understood a lot about what's going on. And I think I'm definitely going to go and buy your book. As you said, if you can kind of see what's going on in China today, then you can see what's probably going to be happening to the rest of us in 10 years time. Absolutely. I'd like to thank you for joining us today. And it's just been fantastic. We're going to have to do a follow-up, right? Because there's so much more to cover, but it's been so much fun. And I really, really appreciate you sharing your insights like that. And I encourage everyone to read your book. It's fantastic read. Dave and Darm, the pleasure is completely mine. And to your audience, if you've hung in this far, I'm sure you'd love to read Cashless, China's Digital Currency Revolution. And I have to do this. It's available on Amazon, it's available on Apple Books, it's available on Kobo, and a whole bunch of other digital platforms that I can't really remember. I can never remember them when I have to, but please, I ask you, if you agree or disagree, shoot me a LinkedIn message, connect with me on Twitter, connect with me on LinkedIn. I write about this, as Darm knows, because Darm and I talk all the time, particularly on LinkedIn, I'm very approachable, I'd love to hear from you, let me know what you think. And it's okay to disagree. Disagreement is fine. That's what makes the world go round. And that's really important. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvelous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.